Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Christian Project, the podcast, not only the podcast, but the online coaching service specifically designed for Christians to grow healthier physically, mentally, and spiritually. So if that's you, if that sounds anything like you, even if you're just, you know, you felt a little bit convicted about taking care of your health more recently, go ahead and click on the the link down below that will take you to the application form and I'd love to have a chat with you just about you know your goals and what you want to achieve and if we'd even be a good fit to work with you regardless you'll walk away with some next steps now on to the topic of today's episode community community man's way versus community god's way and this is taken straight out of the first draft of uh, my book that will be coming out soon i haven't decided the name yet but um it's going to be talking about you know the physical mental and spiritual aspects of our lives and looking at them the world's way aka man's way and looking at what the bible says about those things so excerpt straight out of the book and this one we're talking about community now starting off with a little short story um I was working at a job, uh, at a gym for about seven months before I quit to focus on running my own business, which is this, the Healthy Christian Project Elite Fitness. And, you know, I was actually treated pretty well. Um, The pay was pretty good. And I was waking up at 4 a.m. I was teaching fitness classes for, you know, between 8 to 12 hours a week, typically. The work was enjoyable, and I got to meet a lot of good people. I got to train a lot of people who I still consider friends to this day. And the company, which will remain unnamed, um, they like to talk about community. They said that, you know, all together, we're kind of like a family. And I really took that that thing to heart. You know, we're a community, we're a family. And so I treated them like they were my family. And I'm not going to say that was a mistake per se, but I'll just relay what happened. One day, a coach asked me to take her shifts as she was going on her honeymoon. And I thought to myself, oh man, if I were going on my honeymoon, I would definitely want someone to take these shifts. And so I took her shifts. That put me at an extra five hours a week. So now instead of 11 hours, I was at 16 hours a week. That same week, another coach texted me saying, hey, I have a surgery this week and I need someone to take these shifts. I've asked everybody. No one else can help. Can you please take these? And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm already working 16 hours, but man, if I were in a surgery, I would definitely want someone to take these shifts. So of course, yeah, I'll take them. Um, That's how families treat each other. So now I was up to 20 hours that week, which I know it's not really a significant amount when you look compared to a full-time job, but you know, for a job that has you on your feet all day, when you're introverted and you have to summon energy out of the depths of your heart and socialize while exercising intermittently and showing others how to exercise, oh, it can be a little bit draining, especially if you're working you know, waking up at 4 a.m. and working until 8 p.m. to close and then not getting home until 8.30, 9 o'clock and, and doing it all again. So up to 20 hours. That same week, another coach texted the group chat saying, hey guys, my grandpa just passed away and I'm really not in a good headspace to be coaching today. Can anyone take my classes? And I remember that day, you know, I was already... I just finished coaching another class and I had a little break and I sat down on the bench between my 15 minute break, reading these messages 
everyone was saying, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I have an exam. I got a class to teach. I'm, I'm busy. I'm out of town. I, I really can't today. I'm busy. Sorry, sorry, whatever it is. I was already scheduled to work 20 hours that week and taking another five hour shift I knew would be exhausting. But I called my wife and I asked her, you know, I really, I think it's going to be exhausting, but what do you think? And she told me to do it because it's the right thing to do. And so I texted him. I said, Hey, I'll take your shift. And that was probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. I remember I was teaching that last class at 7.30 p.m. um, And I was set to wake up at 4 a.m. the next day. And all of a sudden, I started having heart palpitations. I felt dizzy. I felt like I was going to faint. Uh, It was was bad. Uh, But I was making these sacrifices for my family. Or so I thought. My wife and I were set to travel about two months later. Um, We were going to Dubai to see her family. I had the travel dates already booked into the calendar and I threw them into the coaches group chat. After all, you know, it it was my responsibility to get my shifts covered. That makes sense. Um, I would be gone for three weeks. So that was about 15 shifts I needed to get covered. So I put them in, in October, beginning of October, and we were set to travel at the end of December. I told everyone, Hey, these are the dates I need covered. Please let me know anyone if you can take any of them. So I threw it in the group chat. No one responded. I was like, okay, you know, we're still two months away. They probably just don't know what their schedules look like yet. All good. A month later, I threw it all in the group chat again. This time, a couple people said that they can take a shift or two. So I, I went down from 15 shifts to about 10. So I got I got five shifts taken, which was pretty good still. Um, two weeks later, I sent another message. Another week later, I sent another message. And at this point, you know, we're sitting in December a couple days before, and I sent another message. I still had five shifts that were not taken. And once I traveled, I would not have any way to contact them. And I knew it was my responsibility, and I had already put it in the coaches group chat five times. I texted each coach individually asking, Half of them didn't respond. The other half just said they can't. Well, I literally did all that I could. I assumed that, you know, my manager would probably see all these requests I made and which ones were not being taken. And maybe I'm in the wrong for for not specifically telling her, hey, these days were not taken. But I was traveling and I did my best. And, you know, the, the stress of travel kind of just gets to you sometimes. And some shifts were just not taken. Even though I begged for them to be taken, they were not. Now, this may just sound like I'm I'm complaining at this point, but the story has a purpose. (laughs) Um, It may sound insignificant, but it shows what community man's way actually kind of does look like. It's a little bit selfish. Needless to say, I did feel betrayed because every time someone else needed a shift taken, I would take it for them no matter what it cost me whether it was costing me you know my time with i could spend with my family time i could devote to my business time focusing on myself and my health or with my or with god i was taking those shifts but when i needed my shifts taken i was getting ignored i was getting rejected people just wouldn't respond i felt so betrayed that's community man's way 
it's selfish. The community only helps you if there is something in it for themselves or if it, you know, lines up with their schedule or if it's convenient for them. And that selfish view of things is because at the core, we are fallen and we are selfish creatures and we think that we're at the center of our own universe. Society convinced us that you can't love someone until you love yourself. And that's not true. You have to love God before you love someone else. I remember my dad taught me this um, when I was a kid because he often asked me, I don't know if I had to do a chore or something. And I was like, wait, no, I can't do this chore. I can't help my mom out. It's inconvenient for me. You know, it, it would just wouldn't make sense for me to do this. It's so out of the way. And he taught me, you don't only help people when it's convenient for you. You help people whenever you can, even if it's inconvenient for you. And so I took that and I approached community that way. But that's not the way that the world will approach community. So that's why today in my coaching business, I try to treat my team members as if they're family. I want them to have their days off. I want them to have time to rest, time for vacations. I want them to feel supported. I want them to be generously compensated for their work. Because a true community will put the needs of others before themselves and their their own convenience. A true community also convicts us when we're doing wrong and tries to bring us back on the right track. Jesus taught a lesson during his ministry. What's really interesting about this specific lesson is that Jesus mentioned the church before he before there was a church. In that lesson, he taught that if a brother sins, to tell him his sin in hope of bringing him back. If he doesn't come back, grab a couple of friends and do the same thing. Tell him his sin. If he still doesn't come back, bring him to the church in hopes of saving him. That idea of community is largely refuted today. Nowadays, we expect that our friends tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. If our friend convicts us, we often think it's because they don't care about us, they don't care about our feelings, and they want to hurt us. That's a lie. Think about the words that describe your friends and your community. What circumstances do you see them under? Are they always trying to take something from you, whether it's money or time or energy? Are they always lying to you for their own best interest? Are they constantly trying to move you away from becoming your pest self? Not pest, best self, my bad. Are they pushing you to party until, you know, 3 a.m. or drink or smoke or hook up with people? Here's the thing. Your friends and your community have a huge influence, influence not on the person you become and not just early on your life, but for your entire life. They can literally influence your future. Be careful of those people who you allow to influence you. Because they, be, they may be taking much more than they are willing to give. They may be changing the person that you have the potential to become and holding you back. Now, needless to say, God's way is different. And God does, in fact, acknowledge that we need a community that supports us, that helps us, that loves us, because we were never meant to do life alone. When God created Adam, 
in Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God knew that Adam needed help. He needed companionship on the roller coaster of life that would come, and so he created someone to help. And in that same way, we as humans are not meant to live alone, to be alone. We literally need others at all times, in our community, in our lives, people to encourage us, people to lead us, people to convict us, people to help us, people to guide us. We need a community to support us. For Christians, that community is the church. It's a body of believers with Jesus at the center. The church is that community of believers gathering together, remembering Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And this church was instituted by Jesus. Now, even before the church, the Old Testament actually has quite a lot to say about community. Even looking at you know the first five books of the Bible, God put down quite a few laws to help the community flourish. For example, have you ever heard of the law of gleaning? Essentially, in Leviticus 23.22, that law told farmers and those who owned land and whoever produced crops to leave some left over on the edge of the field so that when poor people come around, they can grab food to eat. There's another one. It says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Coming straight out of the Old Testament, there was a law to judge your neighbor fairly without partiality or favoritism. There was a law not to slander or to spread gossip, which can literally tear a community apart. There was a law to keep your neighbor safe, a law to love your neighbor as yourself. There was even a law to rebuke your neighbor when they're doing something wrong. In Community Man's Way, we kind of analyzed how the world tells you to do the opposite, to show partiality, you know, spread gossip, only help people when it's convenient to you. Tell your neighbor what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. God is telling us to do the opposite, and that's in the Old Testament. One of the most beautiful examples that we can see of community in the New Testament is Acts 2, 44-47. When the very early church, we read, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage is clearly showing the ideal church, the community of God that cares for each other, even selling their possessions to provide for each other. They're meeting together often. Now, 
I'm not here, you know, to talk specifically about the church. And I understand that for many Christians, we have negative feelings towards the church. We feel burdened by it. We feel burdened by or betrayed by other fellow Christians. In fact, I had a church, I had a friend who left the church because people in the church judged him for drinking while they themselves were getting drunk on the weekend. They judged him for, for talking to girls while they themselves were secretly entangled in all kinds of sexual immorality. And he told me he knew several atheists that lived more pure lives than Christians, and that religion to him has just been hypocrisy and casting judgment on others. And it's unfortunate when the name of Jesus is stained by the actions of Jesus' followers. Now, thinking about that logically, I know it doesn't really make sense, because Jesus can't be blamed for the poor actions of his followers. Imagine a situation where, you know, in my business, someone comes up to me and says, I want to lose weight. And I advise them, okay, cool. Um, we're going to work out three times a week. I'd like you to drink two liters of water. Um, and let's start adding a vegetable to your meal. If they don't do what I tell them to do, I can't be blamed. It's not my fault. It's theirs. Now, to take that even further, if while they're not doing what I advise them to do, they begin to judge others who are not doing it too, although it's despicable of them to do that, it's still not my fault. And that's kind of where the idea of organized religion sucks. Now, Dr. John Neufeld, who is uh, like a mentor of mine, a Bible teacher, he has a funny comeback for this. Someone once told him, a lady came up to him and said, I hate organized religion. And he said, as opposed to what? Unorganized religion? But, you know, this is where the idea of a churchless Christianity comes from. The idea that Christ saves us, not the church. And therefore, all we need is Jesus. You may have met someone like this. You may yourself be that person. But I challenge you here. If all you need is Jesus and his teachings... Why would Jesus have instituted the church in the first place? Matthew sixteen eighteen, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus literally said he will build his church. It's his. It belongs to him, and he is the cornerstone. And finally, there's a little bit of a disconnect, tying this into our, our fitness as well. In the church, we have rarely discussed the importance of physical health. We feel shy to convict others when it comes to losing weight, to eating healthier, or being a good steward of their bodies. And as we have seen, part of being a good community is convicting and rebuking others frankly, because as your friend, you would want what's best for them. But for some reason, we as Christians, when we convict others, we think that it's a bad thing. No, it's actually a form of encouragement. We don't go to the church just to hear motivational speaking and feel better about ourselves. We need a church that convicts us, a church that guides us, a church that lifts us up, a church that humbles us, a church that keeps us walking on the narrow path of salvation. That is the core foundation of what a Christian community looks like. A true community has your best interest in mind. 
which means they'll be willing to have the tough conversations with you when it matters the most to ensure that you grow. And these conversations are probably uncomfortable, and they may hurt, and they may convict, but we have them because we care for the other person. A true community sees the other people within it as a family, as brothers and sisters, not just random people. A true community is willing to help, even when it's inconvenient for them. And when you see these people as your family, your willingness to serve them and put them before yourself increases. And that comes back to the core of Jesus' teachings. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's all I got for you today. Community, it's one of those things that we all need. But don't be fooled into what the world tells you community is. Community is not helping people only when you you know you feel like it or you get paid for it or you can show it off on social media or when it's convenient to you community is not ignoring your brother's sins in fear of convicting him community is loving others loving others as jesus has loved you and given yourself his self up for you if you made it this far i appreciate you love you Thank you for coming on and join us next time on another episode of the Healthy Christian Project where we connect our faith to our health.